Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions about long hallway hellos, how a caregiver can speak up, what to call a widow, sample language for a college student who wants to meditate without being a buzzkill, and season ticket holders who want to... Shh! Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on holiday cards. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey! You're off to New York. You're off to New York. We're off to New York. Well, I'm really excited that we're both going to be in New York. I love going to New York City in the holiday season. All the storefronts are awesome. People just kind of have this this air of holiday rush about them, which in the beginning of it, I like. We all know that towards the end of the month, it starts to feel a little like major. But No, I couldn't agree yeah. more. There's something about that tree at Rockefeller yeah. and the ball dropping at New Year's. There's something very holiday about New York. Maybe it's the Macy's Day Parade on Thanksgiving I, that gets it started. I love all the windows, you know, that have all the setups and everything. It's it's really cool. I First love it. snow in the city, that <laughs> bustle, as you say. Well, enjoy your trip. Enjoy your trip. Can't wait to hear about it when you get back. <laughs> you too, cuz. Let's get to our show. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question has to do with hallway hellos. And Dan, this one, I couldn't remember. Did we do this one on the show? Did we sure do it did. on DPD? I couldn't remember where we had answered it. But I love the fact that a new listener might hear it from before, and now we're going to do it again. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I'm a new listener and making my way through the archives, so please forgive me if this has been asked before, but I would love to hear you guys talk about etiquette in the work setting as it pertains to hallways. I work in a large office setting with many separate departments and large shared copy room, mail room, cafeteria, conference rooms, etc. In my travels to these shared areas, I, of course, pass coworkers in the hallways, sometimes several times a day. After the initial good morning when I pass once and then maybe a, oh, hello again, when we pass each other a second time, what do you think is the best way to handle seeing them again after that in my many travels to mail a letter or make a photocopy? It seems overkill to keep saying hello every time I see someone when I may see them briefly 10 times or more. I notice some coworkers handle this by staring straight ahead and not even acknowledging the person they're about to pass, but this seems cold and rude. Is just a smile after the initial good morning okay? Is it best to just walk and not try to make eye contact with everyone I pass? Sometimes I will look for that eye contact, and it's like the person is trying not to make it, as we've already greeted each other once or twice that day. I am, of course, talking about acquaintance coworkers and not close friends at work. So I'm wondering, is there any official etiquette to keep in mind as I'm roaming the halls at work? Thank you. Hallway hellos. Thank you, Hallway Hellos, for bringing up this classic business etiquette question. <laughs> and this is a classic. It is something that we talked about in one of our very first Awesome Etiquette podcasts ever. And I don't remember exactly which episode. And I think the story that we told back then was about the entrance to Emily Post, where there's a long bridge. Yes. And we have this long second floor entrance to our building where as you come and go from the building every day, you have this long <laughs> approach with coworkers and clients and other people coming and going from the building. We also share a floor with a suite of offices that have people coming and going all the time. And we encounter a version of this question just about every day. And how you handle it is an important part of how you manage your professional workplace relationships. Now, the basic courtesy is that you do acknowledge people with ideally a verbal hello the first time you <laughs> see them in a day. Some sort of greeting, some sort of good morning acknowledgement, a hello Maybe a hi, How's more informally. How's it going? It doesn't necessarily need to be a conversation, but there, there's some sort of effort to engage and to make an effort to meet someone the first time. As the day goes on, the social cost would be prohibitive if you had to continue with that <laughs> level of engagement. So you can start to drop out the, the verbal exchanges, but you do want to – 
keep your attention up and about. You want to acknowledge people. You want to maintain the ability to make eye contact and acknowledge the presence of others. You don't need to go into hiding once your day has begun. And one of the the classic sort of descriptions of this kind of behavior was the counting tiles behavior, walking around like you're Wait, what is this? Um, <laughs> counting the tiles on the floor or the ceiling that you don't meet people's level gaze and it doesn't need to become a staring contest. And this is where <laughs> it starts to get into that that how you play this game d- does sort of say something about you and your ability to meet someone's eyes but then not stare them down. It's not a joust as you approach each other. Timing is kind of everything on this one. So you got to get good at the timing of the long hallway or the frequent passing people. Absolutely. And there is a subtlety to this kind of interaction and engagement that makes it a really interesting etiquette question. People are so sophisticated. We are such complex (laughs) creatures and we know where each other are looking. We know where our attention is and paying attention to your gaze and what it says about you and how you interact socially with your gaze is a really important part of how you interact. It's an important part of how we all get along. And there's a whole body of literature <laughs> that's written about the gaze and being aware of where you're looking and how you meet people. It's worth paying some attention to. You don't want to get hung up on it. Mm-hmm. You don't want to start to obsess about it. Sometimes you really are just needing to focus and you're going to just meet someone's gaze really quickly and then you can divert your eyes and get back into that mental space where you're maybe doing the work that you're doing. If you can put a smile on your face, mm-hmm. if you can keep a sort of a healthy, happy, open visage, it can be <laughs> a nice way to participate and to engage that shared space and culture in a way that contributes to it. Just so you know, Dan and I are making these faces at each other from behind the mic. Like, you know, it's like where you just glance up and give a nod and then you move on. And then there's the one where you kind of like smile and give a wave or something like that. But it is funny how much it changes throughout the day that after that, that first interaction, is really clear, right? As you said, the verbal hello or even just a smile and a nod, but that eye contact, something that engages them. But I'm always amazed at how throughout the day I have to pay attention to whatever the other person that we're crossing paths with in the hallway is doing because a lot of times the folks from the other company that we share a floor with are on headsets. Mm -hmm. And so they're actually talking to a client as they're moving through the hallway to go get whatever they need for the call or something like that. And you really have to try to gauge what's going on and pay a bit more attention because we have all these mobile abilities (laughs) that are concealable too when you have long hair or when you're wearing a hat or something like that. So I find myself really paying more attention to these very small interactions throughout the day because it does matter. It matters to be aware of each other so that we can interact well in that very small moment. You make a good point. You don't want to interrupt conversations that are going on. If two people are walking together, your level of engagement is going to be much smaller. And this happens a lot with cell phones. Yeah. People use them almost as shields. I, it's funny <laughs> to go back to the jousting metaphor that uh, you, you don't want to always have your phone in your hand as a defense, as a ward against unwanted social interaction or engagement. It's definitely a social skill to cultivate both professionally as well as personally to be able to navigate these spaces, make eye contact, and then also move on to keep your attention to yourself and yeah. go about your day. I think our questioner gets that. Oh, and I, totally. I see that in this totally. question. I think that the, the basic protocol that that is outlined by Hallway Hellos is absolutely the acceptable and correct version of this etiquette. I got to say, though, I'm fascinated that it seems to me like no matter what, 
at least I brief eye contact to acknowledge each other's presence seems to be the bare minimum. Because like picture those two people walking down the hallway. They may not stop their conversation, but even just them seeing you and you seeing them is enough to make it feel very like normal interaction, you know? The briefest flicker of a glance can be enough. We are very subtle creatures. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Hallway Hellos, thank you so much for giving us a chance to dive back into this question with a little bit more detail. You'll be working in an office. Well, don't forget the golden rule works there just as it does anywhere else. Treat others as you want to be treated. Enjoy it, but also enjoy the people that you're working with. Be considerate of them. And you'll get along in the business world. Our next question is from Twitter, and it's a quickie, titled, Not a Short Order Cook. Fly Jubilee asks, at Emily Post for hashtag caregivers, what would you say if you offer two choices for breakfast, but they choose a third? Question mark note, I'm not paid for my services. <laughs> I think that I would politely, I would say it in a nice, kind tone, say something like, oh, sorry, that's not on the menu today, but I'll keep it in mind for next time. If you really will, if you aren't interested in keeping it in mind for next time, I don't like offer it. that, like you know. It. What else might you say? Well, this wouldn't be an etiquette podcast if I didn't say, well, if it really wouldn't be that big a deal, you might make it for them. <laughs> that's true. Oh, that's true, Dan. Good point. Good point. But I like some of your funny options also. What yeah. are some other, other options? good scripts? Okay, so sorry, Mr. Solomon. The options today are blank and blank. Like, you know, where you're just like, sorry, but these are the options today. <laughs> the other one was, you know, that's one of my favorites too, but today's options are this and this. I like the good spirit. I like the Enthusiasm. good humor. Enthusiasm. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. It, it, it would make me feel um, maybe unappreciated Yeah. if the things that I was offered were not accepted yeah. pretty much continuously. Yes. And if people were always wanting something else or something more or something different. And this is a point of etiquette. It is bad behavior to be constantly asking for more where it starts to become a burden on people, particularly someone who's not paid for their services, who's donating their time, who's volunteering. And I, I appreciate your effort to keep good humor <laughs> about this and yeah. also our not a short order cook's willingness to listen to my very etiquette advice that maybe sometimes if it's not that big a deal or that big a jump that you go ahead and provide that that other thing that they're requesting because maybe there's a reason they're asking for it. There is one point that I want to bring up about this, and that's that when when we've just got the hashtag caregivers, really, we could be talking about any age group here. I mean, and, and any type of situation. This could be caregiving for people that are elderly, for people that are infirm, or for kids. Yeah. And we often say that you don't have standing to address someone else's bad etiquette. Sometimes with kids, you do. <laughs> if this is a teaching moment opportunity, you might talk to children yeah. or kids about choosing from options that are presented, not being too demanding, whatever you're experiencing is bad etiquette from them. It might be more difficult if yeah. you're talking about some of those other groups. Something to think about. It might yeah. be an option here. Last point is just that if this is a position that your services aren't paid for, you might talk with whomever it is that organizes you to be a caregiver in this situation. If it's a chronic issue, if it's really difficult, if it's not changing, um, it's always worth speaking to someone in charge so that the situation might be able to be rectified. Not a short order cook. That is a relatively long answer for your relatively short question. And we want to say that we appreciate you for the care that you give. 
The cook is concerned that every serving tastes as though it were specially prepared for you. He knows that there will be as many different tastes to satisfy as there are people sitting down to dine. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Our next question is called what to call a widow. Good afternoon. I was hoping to ask you your opinion. My fiancé was making the address list for our wedding invitations, but as he was writing it to his friend and his friend's mom, we weren't sure if we should write Ms. or Mrs. for his friend's mother. His friend's father passed away in a car accident over 10 years ago, but the mother hasn't remarried and is still, and will always be, in mourning. My instinct was to write Mrs., especially because she still uses the family name. But what do you think? Thanks so much for your help. Best, Rachel. Rachel, you're really kind to be thinking about this, and your instincts are absolutely 100% correct here. Widows oftentimes retain that title of Mrs. In fact, usually retain the title of Mrs. and will use it, and it would be good if you used it. The great big huge caveat here is that you always address someone the way they would prefer to be addressed, and you can always check in. There are a couple of options here. Sometimes widows prefer Mrs. John Doe. Sometimes they prefer Mrs. Jane Doe when they're being addressed formally, particularly in writing, and you're you're probably going to be in pretty good shape with either of those options. You can always ask if you're not clear professionally. Many people use the Ms. title, so you're not uh, locked in to being a Mrs. in any situation, but here socially, it's likely that that's going to be the form of address that you'll be using. It sounds like the friend's um, mother is fairly traditional, and so that's usually a good sign that the Mrs. is going to be retained, and I think your instincts are pretty right. But call up the friend, ask him if he knows, or if you're close with the mom, you could call her as well. Just remember that when you do issue the invitations, if the mother and son live together, that you would put their names either on separate lines of the um, addressed envelope, or you would send them two completely separate invitations if you'd like to. What to call a widow? We hope this helps. Thank you for giving us a chance to return to some traditional addressing etiquette. Our next question is titled Meditation Me Time. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, your podcast is a gift in this age of ever-shifting micro-nuances of etiquette. It helps me to reflect on the way I interact with others and the effects that my actions have. Thank you for your important work. Sorry, I don't mean to giggle. That's just so wonderfully, like, worded. Thank you. I am a college student living in a dorm. I have a few friends and acquaintances who live on my hall. And while some of us are sensitive to each other's nonverbal cues regarding personal space... Others have a tendency to ignore these micro-expressions and even overstep these boundaries. Sometimes there isn't an obvious reason to request others to retreat from my space, and I want to be able to convey my needs while maintaining cordial relationships with everyone around me. Please, could you help me develop a sample script for boundary-setting strategies? Sincerely, a girl who wants to meditate. 
And I just love that at the very end. I just want to meditate, man. I want to like, meditate too. Like, I just say, like, I just want to meditate. I need some personal space. I love it. It's right up there with uh, daily exercise. I yeah. really want to practice a morning meditation. So maybe that's a New Year's resolution that's brewing. I like that. Um, before we get to the sample scripts yeah. that I'm going to throw in your direction, Whoa. <laughs> I want to affirm very broadly that when people don't take a hint, when those <laughs> micro nuance subtleties of, of personal interaction aren't working or aren't registering, it is perfectly appropriate. It is okay to start to get more direct. Yes. To slowly, clearly, without getting upset, increase the the level of directness in your communication because it's really important that you're able to establish boundaries, carve out time for yourself, whether this is asking people to leave your room when you need to get to work yep. or get to sleep or just spend <laughs> some alone time or whether it's exiting a conversation, that your ability to, to, to put parameters on those interactions and those relationships is going to be an important part of both your success but also the, the quality of your life. So it's okay to do this and with that. I'm also thinking that it comes up just not in times where you're sitting in your room or, or um, you were saying in conversation, but when you're making plans and you want to kind of carve out that space for yourself too. I think it's really simple. I think once you've given those first nonverbal cues, then if people haven't picked up on it, you might say something like, hey guys, I think I'm wanting to meditate for a bit. Do you mind if we call it for now? We could do dinner later. Like something like that, where if these are people you're going to hang out with regularly, I mean, dorm life for me was like, you know, you were just in constant touch with these people all the time. So it was very easy to say, hey, I got to study for something. I got to stop now. Otherwise, I'll never get it done. And your meditation can be something that you protect, use, speak about in that way, just because it's a personal care. It's a it's a personal time thing doesn't mean it can't be as important to you as the studies or, you know, the school activities. I like, I'm about to go spend some time alone with a book. <laughs> you can tell people exactly what it is that you're going to be doing. And it's very clear. It's very direct. And it's not a comment on, on anyone else demanding your time or attention or, or, or drawing you out of that place that you want to be in. Yeah, yeah. We talked about when people are trying to make plans. So a sample script for that situation might be, oh, yes, I totally want to hang out, but I'd like to get some me time, downtime, meditation time in. Can we meet up in an hour? When people don't take the hint, it's okay to to get more direct and just say, no, I really I really need this time for myself right now, but I'm so stoked to hang out with you later. I even think, and I'm now imagining that situation where people <laughs> have maybe congregated in your room or you're talking to roommates or people that you share space with, it being okay to ask for quiet time, yeah, to ask for a finish for whatever the interaction or social engagement that's that's happening. It's been so great having everyone here. I need to put a an end to this at nine so I can get back to X, Y, or Z. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the idea of putting a time on something because your life is so scheduled in college in different ways and you're so responsible for scheduling the study time for yourself and the activities that you need to do, even things like going for a run or something like that. And so I think it feels really natural to let people know 
kind of how long you're available for. And that can just become a part of when you start hanging out with folks, you can let them know exactly like Dan said, you know, oh, man, I'm stoked to have you here for a bit. I've got to get back at it at nine. And, you know, so I'm going to have to <laughs> call it quits then. But it's easy to, to just make that a part of your general conversation with people. In that spirit, yeah. I'm also thinking about setting the stage for these moments by having a more general discussion with people that you interact with on and off sort of more regularly about your desire for alone time and how that's part of the way you do self-maintenance and self-care, that it's it's okay to to talk about how that's something that's important to you. Do you so think that people, people understand when you say, I'm ready for some me time, they say, oh, this is this is Dan. He really likes his me time. We've like talked about you're this. You're priming for it. I love it. Do you think they'll pick up on that if they're the people who aren't picking up on the nonverbal cues? I've tried to I've so. tried to do this for years. I hope this works. <laughs> A girl who wants to meditate, we hope that that gives you some ideas for how to weave this meditation desire into your conversations. It's hard to think about your own work in such a noisy room. You couldn't learn very much here. And you couldn't be proud to be part of such a noisy room, could you? Do all the rooms in school sound like this? Let's visit another room. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our next question is titled, Please Shh. Love the show. Love the laughter. Love the energy. Well, everything. I have an etiquette question. <laughs> Regarding the theater, my wife and I enjoy the Smith Center here in Las Vegas. We have had season tickets to the Broadway series since this beautiful performing arts center was built five years ago. We love our seats, and with the season subscription, we get the same seats every year. This year, a new couple has sat behind us at every show. They obviously have season tickets also, but they make loud comments throughout the show. We hear things such as, oh my goodness, or can you believe that? Throughout the show, not a hushed tone, but in a full voice, as though the person they are talking to is hard of hearing. Last week at The King and I, it was tempting to turn around and give them a dirty look or wave my finger in a no-no action. But thought of you, consideration, respect, <laughs> and honesty, and decided to bear it a little while longer. We don't want to change seats. Any suggestions? By the way, I mentioned Smith Center and Las Vegas on purpose. They may see it or hear it and recognize themselves if you put this on the air. Ha ha. <laughs> That's one strategy. <laughs> this is so tough. No, this is easy. I think this is oh tough. Oh my gosh, this is so easy. These okay, like so new first neighbors. of all, no, this is like totally annoying that you've had to deal with this up till now, but this is so simple. This is easy cakes. All right, let's do it. Just go to management. These people are season ticket holders. I am sure there are ushers. I'm sure there are volunteers. I'm sure there is staff around to deal with unruly people. These people aren't unruly. They're making exclamations that are just a little too loud. And so all they need is an usher to be able to know, oh, you know, someone asked about those folks. Let's keep an eye on them if they are, you know, speaking up quite a bit. 
then we can ask them to just remember to keep their voices down. It's so simple. It's so, so simple. I would hope that the organization would work with them on it, that they could call up as season ticket holders and say, hey, the couple behind us is clearly thoroughly enjoying the show. We are so excited about that. But unfortunately, their exclamations are making it so that we aren't enjoying the show. Do you think an usher might be able to tell them to just keep their voices down a bit the next time that it happens? I mean, how easy is that? I'm feeling better already. I was imagining the complications, and you're presenting a very coherent Dan, picture. we are about solutions! <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, well, what if there aren't ushers close enough to you? What if this is in the middle of a row? And what if the ushers stand in the back of the theater? There aren't people stationed close enough that they would hear this? Right. So you have to prompt someone in management to let an usher to know to kind of listen for it, to keep an eye on it. And because they're season ticket holders, you can do that. You could never do that at a one-off show. No, and... Maybe at like an intermission. No, well, and this is what I'm thinking, too, is that that, that probably that approach happens at an intermission. The theater's going to have a system for doing that where maybe they sort of tap the person at intermission and say, listen, Mm -hmm. we're hearing you during the show or whatever it is. It's up to them to come up with that sample script they can write in and get that (laughs) from you because you were so good at this. The other thought that I had was if that's just not possible, if there's no way to station someone near enough for them to catch this behavior – that sometimes this is a place where etiquettes come into play, those little signs. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's that when they do that no cell phones announcement at the start of a show where they remind people to silence phones and not do flash photography, they also ask people to please refrain from commenting or loudly, yeah, loudly like speaking during the show. That you add that etiquette to the theaters. What do you think about the pitch? turnaround? Because that's very tempting. Like, okay, so Jim was saying he would turn around and give the no-no. I wouldn't wave my finger at anybody. But I wonder if just kind of turning around when they make their exclamation, like, oh, like, you know, as if I noticed you. No glare on your face. Mm -hmm. No, like, confused, like, you know, yeah, Dan and I are both one eye is squinting and the mouth is coming up. Like, nothing like that. But just kind of like a, oh, hello. (laughs) Something like that. I think those gentle cues, we were talking about micro-expressions, small cues, things like that. So much rude behavior is unintentional. Someone might not even be aware of how distracting they're being. And maybe if they see it distract people and... Are are you maybe two seats down? Can you do it sideways? If I had to turn all the way around in my chair, I think I'd be less likely to do it. It's a little difficult if they're behind you. Now we're getting really... That's like the where you do the half turn, you turn your shoulders just a little, just a little eye glance over the side, you know, side of the shoulder. But you're right. I wouldn't get up and turn all the way around. And I certainly wouldn't turn so far around that they can see my whole face. If they're directly behind you, maybe a little harder if they're behind you in like three seats over you we might be able to pull it off nuances here of how how to handle this but it's so dependent on where they're sitting how loud the exclamations are and as dan said if it's possible for an usher to help or not but we agree we think you made the right choice by not finger wagging it's bravo really, etiquette gold stars. yeah exactly it's really difficult to say that it's okay to correct someone else's behavior especially a stranger when you're in a more public setting And we had talked, I think it was on the last show, about returning to a postscript on fine arts, theater, arts, etiquette. And this is a reminder that we could definitely go there. The bad etiquette situation I'm imagining is that one where someone does something inappropriate and the harumphing is more (laughs) distracting than the original bad behavior. The throat clearing and harumphing that is so disapproving and ultimately more distracting than the behavior itself. Jim, we're so glad that you decided to speak up here and gave us this delicious question to address. 
Thank you for your questions, and please send us updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Don't forget, you can program that into your phone so that when you see etiquette happening out in the world or when you have a comment or a thought or a question, we are right there at your fingertips. Or you can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Those are some of the important ways we help keep our room quiet. You can see how quiet helps us, can't you? Thank you, Miss Bradley. Whispering is the quiet way to talk when you have to talk. Do you know some things you can do to help make your room a quiet place? Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. We had some great feedback from Faith regarding hijacking social media posts. This was from episode 160. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I was just listening to Rachel's feedback on social media hijacking and people responding to questions with unhelpful comments, and I totally feel her pain. It is so frustrating when, for example, I asked for recommendations on a Blu-ray player and I got a bunch of comments that were like, get rid of your Blu-ray player and just watch streaming movies. And I'm like, that's not what I asked. Or when I posted in a group for craft beer drinkers and I asked, where's a good place to buy craft beer in this specific town? And I got a bunch of responses about where to buy beer in other towns. It's so condescending. Like, clearly you're too dumb to set your own parameters on this thing that you're looking for. Let me tell you what you really need. Or this isn't strictly social media, but I was looking at product reviews on Amazon the other day, and someone asked, is this soap antibacterial? And literally all of the other customers' responses were some variation of, you shouldn't use antibacterial soap anyway, it's not good for you. Look, if this person wants antibacterial soap, that's their decision. Or maybe they were even asking because they don't want antibacterial soap. Either answer their actual question or just don't respond at all. Anyway, I did have one suggestion for Rachel, and it's something I'll try to start using myself. And that's Facebook's privacy settings, which lets you make each individual post visible to specific groups of people. So maybe you could set it so that a question about whether someone in your geographic area has a purse you can borrow in a few hours is only visible to people in your geographic area. That way your out-of-state cousins won't even see it to comment on it. Or maybe you can make it so that a post is visible to everyone except certain people, so that if you've got someone who always responds with unhelpful comments, you could exclude them from posts where you're asking for recommendations not foolproof, but it might result in less wanting to flip the table over and walk away. Anyway, thanks as always for the awesome podcast. I'm about to head over to your subscriber site and get myself signed up. I'm looking forward to even more awesome etiquette in my life. Hope you all have a great day. Bye. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Faith. I am so grateful to you. Um, I actually called Faith and left her a message because I was so excited by this. It was such thorough feedback. I thought she read it with such great spirit. It was so wonderful. And I received it like, I think, day before Thanksgiving or something like that. It was really fun feedback. It made me laugh. And there was some great advice in there. Really good advice. And also how to handle that one person that always like does obnoxious posting for you. My suggestion had been to use like group messaging or like the pages associated with your alumni or, you know, with your college, if you're in college or something like that. This takes it to a whole new level that's amazing. And I was so intrigued and excited. (laughs) We also heard from Soraya, who wrote in regarding Rachel's social media hijacking situation as well. Her idea was to confront the issue politely. 
Hi, Dan and Lizzie. This email is about Rachel's reply to the episode 160 question on social media hijacking. If you recall, she was looking for help from a specific group of people by posting to a larger audience. Is there an appropriate way to specifically request that people only reply if they can help address the issue? I think a lighthearted, sorry guys, in a dashing hurry, please private message PM only if you have a purse to lend could do the trick and let the well-wishers know that they might want to wait until after the event to check in. This also reminds me of some Reddit threads that say serious replies only. Awesome etiquette makes Mondays better. Regards, Soraya. And I want to mention at some point a a Soraya or a Soraya had written in. I had always heard the name as Soraya, but I want to apologize if we're pronouncing it wrong. I know there's a couple different ways to pronounce this name. And someone reminded me of it, but I couldn't find that email last night when I was looking. I loved that this was a different approach. This was a more direct approach. This was not a settings type approach. And so I really wanted to make sure to give voice to it as well. And I thought it was worded pretty nicely. Sorry, guys, in a dashing hurry. I love that. Please, you know, only reply if you have a purse to lend. I think that makes it really clear. I like it also. Beth also wrote in to say thanks. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I want to thank you for the podcast. I have listened to every episode, and it turns out I've learned a lot. I was having a conundrum about gifts at my son's first birthday, and because of all the etiquette that has flowed into my brain from listening to you for a few years, I was able to navigate a potentially awkward situation. Everything turned out much better than expected. Thank you for your knowledge and sharing the importance of respect, consideration, and honesty. Take care, Beth. I just thought it was nice to have some just straight-up positive feedback. (laughs) Beth, thank you for making both of us smile. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And Dan, you weasel, you got a better segment than I did, so we're using yours. Hardly. It was a coin toss. <laughs> I, but I won out because there is a timeliness question at play here. I thought it was here. a smart idea. I really thought it was smart. So I am stoked. Tell us what we're talking about today. Today we're talking about holiday cards. Yay! <laughs> Once upon a time, it was like a family newsletter that went out. <laughs> but the tradition... No, they still do that. People still do that. <laughs> it's true. Although, what I've experienced personally is that I get many more of those postcard style picture holiday cards yeah and i actually kind of love them oh they're fun and the the maybe it's your refrigerator becomes a collage of friends and family and i i like the way this tradition has changed and evolved there's a particular modern digital age version of it that i think is really nice yeah but let's hit a few major tips okay and we'll go all the way from the newsletter to the postcard holiday card and We'll see what we can find. All right. The first is a question of who. Friends Ooh. and family. <laughs> People that you know. I think that the the ability to send the picture card where you download a contact file right into the, the program or the website makes it really easy to choose to hit a broad range of people or to get really specific. But it's okay when the, the cost is relatively low to really send these far and wide. One of the, the little cautions is that usually for businesses, you keep it businessy, that you go uh, – with a general season's greeting that you thank people for their business if they're clients or people that you've worked with and that you send it to the name of the company 
if you do send it to someone's house, be sure to include their spouse as well if you can. But generally speaking, if it's business, keep it more business. For friends and family, it's okay if it's a little more personal. And it is okay to to send these broadly. They're not asking a lot of people. And if you're not falling into that newsletter where you're sharing a lot about your personal life, it's okay if you hit people that are in that sort of periphery of your contact list. Speaking of making it personal, a lot of people feel obligated to write personal notes on every single one of the cards. What are your thoughts? I got my opinions, but what are your thoughts? (laughs) My thoughts are that because a lot of these are sent out from a service that Sometimes you just can't. Sometimes that the, the best is the enemy of the good. And there are ways to personalize that don't involve physically touching it, mm-hmm. that you can include a little note or a greeting that's something that's that's unique to you, even if it's not handwritten. And I think having that picture of you or your family helps to personalize the card. I think that's one of the ways that that personal element is added mm-hmm. if it's not actually passing through your hands. But a lot of people hands. don't send what you're talking about, which are the postcards. I mean, like, for instance, I yep. make cards that I send out each year, you know, and I know a lot of people purchase a card that they love and, you know, they do different themes each year and that sort of thing. And I think there is a lot of pressure with each one, even if you're just signing them, because a lot of people, they do, they put their hand personal touch on it by just signing their name. Then there's the pressure to do the you know, wish you well. And then the next thing you know, you're writing the newsletter on each of them. (laughs) No, I I, I like the way you feel the pressure. (laughs) Um, I don't like that 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 would stress you out. But I do like that you're that you're that you're wanting to personalize if it does pass through your hands. And this is actually a tip I would give for those postcard or picture style cards. If you've got the time, Go ahead and order them and send them to your house and yeah. then send them out and go through and do that thing Put a little where you sign, sign them, them. Yeah. or include that little season's greetings that does personalize them. This is starting to notch up right. that scale of customization and personalization. Etiquette does not dictate that this happens. A lot of people ask that. Do I have to? Do I have to? Do I have to? No, you do not. You could just send the postcard that has the greetings on it and that's it. You could just send the card that has the greeting on it and that's it. Um, but people then tend to notch it up, you know, and we do think think that the the if you have a card that actually signing it is is a nice way to go. It's advisable. And yeah. you can go that extra step of yes. include a little personal message even if it is a a card that already has a printed message inside it even if it's personalized stationery that's already got your name engraved or embossed on it. It is a really good idea to sign to add a little message. You want to think about those relationships that you really want to honor and then m- maybe make and this is starting to get into that Aunt Peggy category where she's so good at her correspondence <laughs> where there is a list of people that are going to get a card that's a little more personalized that you've yep. invested a little more and you've spent a little more time on. and That gets that personal message. Yeah. Grandparents, parents that you aren't going to get to see, siblings that you aren't going to get to see. Really think about ways that you can honor those relationships that are important to you where the medium becomes part of the message. You can spend a little more time. These are real opportunities. They're they're not obligations. This is a time of year when you get to connect with people and people will appreciate it. They will notice. You talked about different levels getting different kind of versions of the card. And I think that um, one thing I've seen a lot of folks do is they'll have a a foldover card that goes out to everyone. And then they'll also have the kind of family newsletter that's like a one pager of what the family and the kids and the dogs usually have been up to. And that that goes into the card that, you know, is then the closer family and friends unit. And then there's like another notch up that's then that signed personal note along with that. And I, I feel like those are kind of the te- you talk about tiers of conversation these are like tiers of note co- holiday card sending you know <laughs> i can hear 
the voices out there saying, do I have to do this? This really starts to sound like a lot of work. And no, you don't you don't have to. It really is up to you how you want to engage with these traditions. But these are really rich opportunities. And a, a story that I would tell that would illustrate how rich that opportunity is, is a question that we often get around the holidays is, do I need to send a thank you note when I get a really nice <laughs> card? And the answer is no. You don't need to reply to a really nice card with a thank you note. But people can be that inspired. They can be that touched. <laughs> And oftentimes I find myself giving the advice that, no, no, you don't have to send a thank you, but notice how good you felt and maybe think about starting to keep a list of people that you might send cards to during the holidays. And I love it. Start to build that list, start to grow. Notice the cards that you get this year and start to build a list that makes it easy next year to say, who did I send my cards to last year? And then you've got your list. Maybe it's as easy as plugging that list into that favorite website or piece of software that you like and your card (laughs) is out the door without much difficulty. I should have gone before you with this last tip because that was so nice and feel-goody and what I'm about to say is more in the Grinch category. All right, let's talk about that holiday newsletter for half a second, okay? Because some people write holiday newsletters and you're like, oh, that's so wonderful. It's so nice to get the update. And other people write holiday newsletters and you're like, what is this? Whether it's the political jokes that come into them, whether it's the bragging that comes into them, whether it's the sob stories that come into them. Some of the things you want to avoid, you want to avoid tragedy. Even if your family experienced a a loss, you can recognize that, but you don't want to dwell on it in the actual newsletter itself. You want to make sure that if it is a notice of we had a difficulty this year, but we're so grateful to be together as a family right now, that's more along the lines of we're touching base and acknowledging this thing that was really hard for us this year, but we want you to know that we as a family are are together and supporting each other as best. You know, that kind of a tone is better than after months in the hospital and things were really difficult and, and Jimmy was having an especially hard time with it. So we, you know, he was in therapy for a long time and it was extended stay. Like that's when you're, you're starting to go on about it. But you also want to be careful in the other direction. It is wonderful when your children succeed and excel. It is wonderful when you succeed and excel. But listing exact numbers of SAT scores or percentages of classes that your child elevated themselves to. What you want to say is that they're really excited about, you know, the school they're going to be attending or that the team has been such a fulfilling experience this year. Those are the kinds of ways to talk about the things you're really proud and excited about when it comes to your family, but not turn it into bragging. Lizzie Post, it is so fun to hear you give this advice because I heard your mother give this (laughs) advice for many, many years. Well, we hope that this inspires you to spread a little cheer during this wonderful season. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today's comes from Bonnie. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I have an etiquette salute that is long overdue. Last summer, I was on my way home from the grocery store with my then four-month-old daughter in the car. I was hit by a car that had run a stop sign, which deployed my airbag and totaled my car. My daughter was crying, and I quickly got her out of her car seat and ran to the side of the road to safety. A woman who saw me standing there pulled over immediately and offered for us to sit in her air-conditioned car. It was 108 degrees outside that day, and there was no protection from the sun at that intersection. A crew of construction workers came over and pushed my car out of the road, which I would not have been able to do alone, much less while holding a baby. The woman, named Kaylee, who allowed us to sit in her car, was truly a godsend. 
she was not only kind, but calmed me in my panic state and called 911 for me as I was quite shaken up about the crash. My husband arrived after about 20 minutes, and I then remembered that the air conditioning in his car had just gone out, and he hadn't taken it to get it fixed yet. Kaylee insisted on driving us home, which I was truly grateful for since a car without AC on a day that hot can be very dangerous for a baby. She also found me on Facebook later that day, friended me, and sent a message saying to let her know if there was anything else she could do to help me. This happened over a year ago, but I still think about Kaylee often as I pass that intersection. Her kindness has left an imprint on my heart, and on that day, she was my hero. Sincerely, Bonnie. That is some truly incredible kindness of a stranger. This seems to be a theme, though, for us. We have a lot of car accidents where folks are really incredibly grateful for the kindness of strangers in that moment. And I can, I mean, having been in a lot of car accidents, I completely understand it. And it is something you really remember for a long time to come. There is something heroic about kindness. Yes, there really is. Bonnie, thank you for sharing. And I hope that Kaylee hears this. And I hope that everyone takes some inspiration from Kaylee's really excellent behavior. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please help us out. You can become a sustaining member and receive an ads-free version of the show with extra content. Or you can help us out by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Chris.